you submit to each other in marriage. And then let's take children to their parents. You submit to each other in that relationship as well. And Paul is using these concentric circles to get wider and wider in Christians' interaction, not just in the intimacy of marriage, but with their secular professions out in the world. And this means something, therefore, to us. It means that my role as a minister of the gospel is no more holy or sanctified than your role as the head of HR or your role as an engineer or as an auditor. When I was, uh, when I was straight out of seminary, my college buddies used to love to poke at me and they would always say, at every wedding or every dinner or every get-together, they'd always say, hey, get Altman, let him pray. He's got the direct line. You know, it gets so old. But so I, so, so I would always pray. But you know what? I have no more of a direct line than you do. That's the joy of the Protestant Reformation. That because we are justified by faith, we have access to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And many of us, our problem isn't really laziness. Our problem is that we actually view our work as our identity. And we pour hours. Some of you worked 14, 15 hours a day this week. And there are seasons when you're going to have those kind of hours, no doubt about it. But do you view your work as your identity, as what gives you meaning, what gives you purpose in life? Do you view your GPA? Do you view your involvement on campus as what gives you purpose and meaning in life? If you do, friends, your gospel is way too small. Because in the gospel, you have security. And you have access to the Lord himself through faith. And you have infinite love and acceptance in Jesus Christ. Those are the same reasons why guys work their tails off. They want security. They want access. They want love. Listen, in the gospel, Christ himself gives you every bit of that. And so therefore, it should free you up to obey your earthly masters as though you're serving Christ. The first mark of someone who works out the gospel at work is that they do their job with excellence as though they were obeying Christ. The second mark is found in the next verse. Look at it with me. It says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The second reason is that You want to serve with utter integrity and with the utmost of ethics. The utmost of ethics. You are to work with an integrity and with the highest ethics. You know, I love watching game day on Saturday. I love it. I'm probably addicted to it, and my wife, Lord bless her, knows it. But one of the things that I love about game day on Saturday is not actually the game. It's always the post-game interviews with the losing coach. You ever notice like, their composure is unbelievable. They never go too high or they never go too low. So Gundy yesterday, right? So after the game yesterday, Gundy, you know, Gundy, first thing he said was, it's on me. This team is my responsibility, and this is all on me. But Mike Gundy never dropped a pass. Mike Gundy never missed a tackle. The guy was sitting on the sideline. And the joy of the gospel is in the same way Jesus Christ says over you before the Father, he's on me. He's on me. Ryan's on me. Matthew's on me. Joseph's on me. 
that is, he takes responsibility for us, that all of the sin that we have committed, it was laid upon Jesus Christ himself. And that's the good news of the gospel, that you don't have to go to work every day to try to earn a name for yourself. You are given a name in Jesus. And so therefore, you're able to go to work and you're able to serve with the highest of integrity. You know, um, so there are people, for example, in boardrooms, they know who I'm talking about, that will say, it's my resp- I take the hit for an employee when they made a, made, a, made a mistake. What does it look like to, to live out your job with ethics that are above and beyond what might otherwise be considered normal? I told this story um, several weeks ago, I think, but it's a story that I heard recently of a guy in New York who um, worked for a very big consulting firm, and they were about to take a client who he had very, very strong ethical opposition against. It, was, it wasn't MTV, but it was an organization kind of like MTV, I think. It was in the music industry. And he, he had two options as a partner in this firm. He could say, um, I refuse to do work for this organization. I just flat out refuse it because it's against my convictions. Or he could say, you know, I, I could, we could take this job and I can undermine it. And I could serve Jesus by undermining my partners. We wouldn't make any money. This, this company that we're supposed to represent wouldn't flourish as though it's supposed to. But you know what he did? At this board meeting with these partners, before they voted, they laid out all the details of their deal. And he said this. He said, brothers, before we vote, I want you to know that I'm against this project. I, and these are the reasons why. But if I lose the vote... I will work on this project as a full partner with all of you just as hard as I would any other project, but I'm not going to take any of the profit. I don't know what living creatively with ethics looks like for you. It may just mean being honest in your math. I I don't know what it looks like exactly because I don't know your fields, but you do, and you know the gray areas in your fields. They're so, everybody cuts the corners, and so you can too. It helps your company. Listen, Christ calls us to operate with integrity and with the highest of ethics at every point in our career. Do you? Or is that an area where you may need to repent because you're people-pleasing your boss? You're serving your masters as though you were slaves to them, just like the ancient Near East. You serve the Lord with excellence as though you were serving Christ. You serve your employers with excellence as though you're serving Christ. That's the first way he shows us in verse five. In verse six, he says, you do it with the highest of ethics. You do it with the highest of ethics. You don't try to people please, but you do it as servants of Christ, doing the will of God. And then the third way that the gospel works at work is your work provides for you an experience of communion with the risen Savior. Your work provides an experience of communion with the risen Savior. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. No one may know how hard it is to do what you do. Your wife or your husband may have no idea how hard it is to work to bring home resources for your family. But Jesus does. And he's with you in the midst of it. And he wants you to see that in the very beginning, he gave us work in Genesis chapter 1, and it was to be good, to cultivate the garden, 
to subdue the earth and rule over it. But when the fall came, all of earth was shattered. We were shattered physically, psychologically, socially. We die. We sin. And the whole world had thorns and thistles. The productivity wasn't as great. And now we are God's ambassadors to be his hands and feet, to extend his beauty into the kingdom. Now he uses you in order to extend his kingdom. We need to see that our job is related to Christ's kingdom, to connect it in some way. Kendall, you remember when we were talking about what you do, right? You work for Family Safe. And, you know, um, installing safe rooms in homes is a very, very good thing to do in this country because we desperately need it in the midst of all the weather related things that happen. But Kendall doesn't just install safe rooms in homes. He provides a picture, a foretaste of the security that we long for that can only be found in Jesus Christ. He pushes back the darkness one safe room at a time. Or those of you who are accountants or auditors, you don't just number crunch. You are helping to organize the world with beauty and symmetry as the Lord himself, the chief auditor, wants his world to be organized and to be beautiful. Lauren the other day was at home and she was polishing up. We had some for the women's tea, which by the way is this afternoon, shameless plug. She was polishing some glasses up and she, I was, uh, I was reading something uh, at the kitchen table and Lauren goes, this stuff is amazing. She goes, vinegar, vinegar's like the gospel. Like it can unclog the most clogged up pipes in the sewer and it makes... It's so delicate it can make China glow. And the gospel is like vinegar. It's versatile enough for the hardest hearts and for the softest delicate among us. She worshipped as she was cleaning her glasses with vinegar. She had an experience, if you will, of worshipping in the midst of her work. Friends, that's the call for us. To see that your work is bigger than just punching a clock, but to see the Lord, even in your job right now, with all of its joys and frustrations, your Savior knows how hard it is. And he knows you haven't gotten a raise in a couple of years. And he loves you. And he has you right, he is right there with you. And so worship should be for you a way to worship, not your work as a way of earning your identity, but a way of worshiping Christ because he has given you the identity as his beloved son, as his beloved daughter. So you work with excellence. You do your job and you do it well. You work with the highest of ethics. You find in your work an experience with the risen Savior. You understand your work as a larger part of God's renewal program for the world yes that involves evangelism yes and amen it does you will never be brought into the kingdom unless you believe personally in the work and the finished work of jesus christ but god also wants you to be the best employee you can possibly be and to make as much money for your company as you are able to that's also your call and then verse nine masters don't get off very easy there's a word here for the masters For those of you who are in the corner office, this is for you. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, as J.J. read so well earlier. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This week in The Economist magazine, um, there was an article called When Your Boss Goes Off the Rails. And 
It was written by a guy named Adrian Woodridge, and this is what he had to say. He said, the corner office is almost a factory for personal problems. Chief executives are under greater pressure to perform at their best times, how much greater in periods of economic turbulence. Yet at the same time, power corrupts. In experiments, social scientists have shown that by giving random subjects power over others, even in small doses, it produces a kind of overconfidence and an insensitivity and an urge to associate with other people with equitable power. One study shows that chief executives who appeared on the cover of business magazines are more likely to make foolish acquisitions. Isn't that interesting? A second sign is over-control. The boss will surround himself with yes-men, and he crushes dissent. He tries to control every detail of corporate life rather than building a strong executive team. Or a third sign of the problem could be a distorted decision-making, the, the The chief conflates his personal and corporate assets. He's obsessed with buying other companies or he focuses on bizarre details. All of us can see this in our own bosses and all of us can also see this in our own hearts. Masters, there is no partiality before the Lord. That means that you are to treat those of the people you've hired, your employees, with just as much esteem and respect as you treat your boss. You're to honor them in the same way. You're to fight to fight for raises for them the same way that you fight for your own. You're to honor them. You're to love them well. And employees, unless your boss is telling you to do something unlawful, unethical, or unjust, you're to obey them because you're obeying Christ himself. And you all are in fields that I, I don't know. And so I can't speak with specificity to your field, but one of the applications of reading this text is that you ought to get together with other brothers and sisters in your field, believers, and talk about how your field as a whole, what are the threats, if you will, to the systemic injustice of your field? What are the ways that you might be able to more strategically work for the kingdom within your field? Talk about some of these things together. I don't know the answers to them because I'm not in your field. But you do, and you have great insight. Don't leave the gospel at home. Let the gospel go to work with you. And let it go to work with you because Christ himself has given you everything that you're wanting in your career. And he's given it to you because he said, that's on me. I loved him enough to die for him, to live the life he could not live, and died the death that he should have died. And when you see that there is no partiality with God, you know that even though your working conditions are tough, Jesus Christ sees them. And one of these days, you will stand before him and everything will be revealed. And Jesus will